Welcome to this week's episode of the People Podcast. Are you in human resources, recruiting professionally, or an entrepreneur growing a team? This is the podcast for you. We are going to bring you all of the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to take your workforce to the next level. Implementing the tips and know-how will enable you to create and keep a world-class workforce. Here is your host, Jesse Tinsley. This week's episode is brought to you by Zor.ai. And here's a quick word from our sponsor. Imagine how your company would grow if your candidate experience earned a 99% approval rating. Well, to get to 99%, you need the three best letters in recruitment technology, XOR. Zor's text bots, chat bots, and audio bots increased IKEA's candidate conversion rate 455%. Zor decreases candidate drop-off rates, improves your candidate experience, and collects analytics for future strategies. To learn more, check out Zor.ai. That's XOR.ai. Tack, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's really great to chat with you. Uh, really great to chat with you. Thanks so much, Jesse. Yeah, of course. And, and just to start off for our audience and, and those of us that don't know you, maybe just give a brief overview of your background and, and how you got into HR and recruiting. Yeah. I've been in HR and recruiting for about a decade now, which is kind of crazy. Um, I've done it at a variety of different companies. Um, first few companies were on the larger side. So Target, Disney, JCPenney. Looking back, I think that was probably deliberate. Graduating, I wanted to see what it looked like in sort of a more of a corporate structured setting. You know, what, what recruiting and HR looked like at scale. But I think where, where I'll probably focus the majority of the conversation has been the last five or six years which has been more at tech companies and specifically scaling tech companies. So I worked at Google. Then um, after that, spent four years at Airbnb in different recruiting and HR leadership positions. And then after that, was the VP of people at Care-of. Care-of is a fast growth direct-to-consumer wellness company based here in New York. And then I actually recently just took a job as the chief talent officer Um, at Sword Health. Sword Health is a digital health company focused specifically on disrupting the physical therapy industry. So we've created a wearable device that allows people to do physical therapy from home. Um, And so I lead HR and recruiting there and uh, I'm loving it so far. That's great. And let's take a few steps back. Like in terms of your Airbnb during their hyper growth, what was the size of Airbnb when you joined and when you left? Yeah. So when I joined, we were around seven, 800 people. And then when I left, including contract workers, where there are quite a bit due to a deliberate strategy, uh, we were at around 6,000 workers by the time I left. Wow. That's uh, a huge amount of growth in a few short years. What's, uh, tell me about that. What was that like? Yeah. Tell me your experience. I'd love to hear. Yeah. I mean, so many things. First and foremost, I have incredible gratitude for my experience at Airbnb. I learned so much. But it wasn't perfect. You know, scaling is really, really hard. It was some of the best years of my career, but it's also some of the hardest. Actually, one thing that I always think of when I think of Airbnb is I would say, you know, around year two, year three, that was really during the tough times when, you know, we're having, having those growing pains, kind of going from a teenager to an adult as a company. Uh, Cheryl Sandberg came in to talk about her experience scaling a company. I have a feeling that wasn't an accident. I, I think from an engagement morale standpoint, leadership really wanted someone who had been there and done that. 
to come in and talk to the team and kind of give us a little bit of a pep talk. And she says, yeah, you know, scaling is hard. Things change all the time. Strategies change. You never feel totally comfortable. But she said, you know what's harder than hyper-growing? Not hyper-growing. And I remember that really distinctively. You know, it's tough, but at the same time, you wouldn't have it any other way. And it's because things are going really well and the business was booming and we're being really successful. And so it it was an amazing experience. I learned a lot of best practices, worked with amazing people. But I would also say because we grew by so much, we also made a lot of mistakes. So I I learned equally as many things to do um, as I would say um, things not to do. And so a lot of my learning lessons have been things to to also mistakes that I've tried to avoid from the type of fast growth growth we did. You said you learned a lot of key components to hiring and I'm sure people and candidate experience. So maybe walk us through a few of those or what's your biggest takeaway and we can kind of dive into those a little bit deeper. Yeah. I mean, obviously so many, I could probably spend the entire time, but maybe the one or two things that jumped to mind is Airbnb was incredible at storytelling. Probably not a surprise if you've ever seen an Airbnb ad or been on our website. We're very deliberate even the office itself has a story, right? All the conference rooms and everything else, it's its quite impressive. It's one of the more, more impressive offices I've ever been in in Silicon Valley. That says quite a lot. Yeah, totally. Thanks for saying that. Um, yeah, it's its a design is a big part of, of the company. And so everything's very deliberate. You know, actually one of our core values was every frame matters. And it's sort of a nod to this notion that every pixel should have a purpose. And similarly, everything you do should tell a story. And so how it applies to HR and recruiting was, I think, Airbnb, as far as I know, uh, based off the companies I've both worked in as, as well as heard, read, learned about, is the best company at being able to really help tell sort of a greater story around mission and purpose. Sure, now Airbnb is this huge 30-something billion dollar uh, company, but we weren't. that wasn't always the case. And we are oftentimes competing against, you know, Facebooks and Googles that were paying much, much more, you know, back when we were a smaller company and didn't have quite as much capital at our arsenal. And so the way in which we were actually able to bring candidates in was by really telling them a compelling story around the mission of the company, getting to be part of something bigger, um, getting to be part of a company whose mission was to create a world where you can belong anywhere. So actually... Very frequently, we would ask candidates to come and actually take big salary cuts to join us. And surprisingly, quite a few people did because they believed in sort of that larger mission and purpose. And this goes back to this idea of how Airbnb was so great at storytelling. And so, uh, you know, we, we partnered really closely with marketing, with branding. Uh, we made sure that people were there for the right reasons. Uh, you know, there's a really um, thorough a core values interviewing process to make sure that people were there, were there actually to champion the mission, not just to get a huge paycheck and that people really believed in what they did. And I think sort of the culmination of all of those different things uh, was sort of, um, is my point in terms of how Airbnb did a really great job of drawing people in to want to work there for more than a paycheck. And oftentimes taking a pay cut and, and even a title cut. And, and I think it did a really miraculous job of that. Yeah, you bring up really interesting points um, that I've found in my career too, which is storytelling and recruiting is like paramount, right? The story from like the first initial experience, whether that's on the website or whatever the case the, the candidate's looking at in regards to your company, and then all the way throughout the process, this is a consistent message and, and branding like marketing efforts. So I think 
it kind of touches on like recruiting marketing. And that's really, really important, I feel like, from an employer branding perspective in, in 2019 and, and in the future, I think, moving forward. Totally. So you said work closely with like marketing. What was some of the things that Airbnb did like specifically to like improve candidate experience or try to make that consistent message? Yeah, you know, actually, when you mentioned recruiting marketing or employer branding, as it's often called, a few seconds ago, Jesse, the, the first thing that came to mind actually was we did not have an employer branding team or a dedicated team until very, very late. I mean, probably too late, probably at around three or 4,000. So a lot of that storytelling was actually more organic. Um, I think we, it, uh, our marketing team, specifically our brand team, was was world class. Just did an, a phenomenal job, um, and again, you you see that from sort of the ads, the the commercials that you see, and I think we really sort of built off of that. Um, you know, one thing that we kind of commonly did was even our employee all hands were always like so inspirational. You would leave in all hands and just like there'd be murmurs and buzz because people were like, "Wow, that was an amazing all hands." Uh, Brian Chesky, our CEO, would give an incredible speech, reminding people of why we're here. You know, we would oftentimes talk about new product features and product launches and make it so aspirational and, and make it so much more about the actual accommodation or so much more about the actual activity and more about how what we were doing was making people actually live like locals and feeling like they're belonging while they're traveling. So anyway, we would try to take advantage of this. I remember I'd often invite candidates that were at offer stage to some of these all hands. I'm not sure whether that was totally by the books or not, but it was a common practice where, you know, we would like candidates we were really excited about or felt like needed that extra push and just give them a little bit of a peek of what it's like to work here. And that would oftentimes work, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but really going back to this idea that like we didn't want to throw money at candidates. Um, that wasn't the reason why we wanted people to come. We wanted them to come and join and feel like they're part of something bigger. And so, yeah, you know, there wasn't a dedicated employer branding team. It was something we invested in later. I think it was really oftentimes us as the recruiting team trying to sort of ride the coattails of the larger company brand um, and using that as a, as a real magnet for, for candidates. Yeah, that makes sense. And what was like, how did you guys come up with the core values interview process while, while you were there? Was that something that was already in place when you joined or something that kind of organically fell into place as, as uh, you guys continue to scale? Yeah, it, it was definitely something that was in place before I joined. I think it was um, probably something that I want to say was institutionalized in around like uh, three, four hundred people, maybe 500 people. So a couple of things there. Number one, you know, that our, our CEO, Brian Chesky, had the belief that having people uh, responsible for core values or culture interviews who actually worked with this person innately introduced bias into the process. And that makes sense, right? Imagine you're interviewing an amazing colleague or someone who would be on your team that reported to you, or just someone who would just make your life a lot easier. You're going to, by design, really want that amazing engineer or that amazing HR person or that amazing marketer who, you know, insert whatever role that is that's going to make your life better. 
And you're going to organically want to give them more of a pass, right? And so one thing we did was we always made sure that whoever was doing the core values interviewing was not a part of that person's deliberate team so that they could really be objective. Secondly, not anyone could just do core values interviewing. It was actually a very selective process. Uh, You had to apply, actually be approved by a member of leadership and or our founders. It was something that we um, really tried to maintain not to be exclusive or, but more so to make sure that the people who were making these decisions were, were true ambassadors and people who had been around long enough or demonstrated that they could be true, you know, sort of um, cultural ambassadors for the company. So that there was actually like a, a selection process and a training process. Yeah, even if you're employee number 10 and, you know, your best friends or the co-founders didn't mean that you automatically got to interview the next day. There was actually a week-long interview process where people would be trained on what these core values actually meant. There'd be specific questions that people were, you know, using to make sure it was a structured interview process, that it was free of bias. And, uh, you know, most importantly, that no matter who was interviewing, whether it's, you know, regardless of their sex, age, team they're from, that we would try to have the feedback would be similar, um, all back to this idea of making sure it's structured and it's free of unconscious bias. So it was actually a, a pretty robust and structured core values interviewing program that eventually someone was responsible for sort of like managing the entire program. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think uh, it definitely branched out. I think uh, a few, I won't name the companies, but a few companies I've uh, worked with, I think had some Airbnb alumni, the people team and have introduced this exact core values interviewing process is spread, I think, organically across uh, the Silicon Valley, in my experience, in the last couple of years. So that makes sense. And I, I think one of the big things you brought up, which is a huge point, I think, in this the core values interview, which is essentially what you're saying is you create cultural silos within a company. If I'm just, if only engineering is interviewing for engineering and only recruiting is interviewing for recruiting or marketing is only interviewing for marketing. And then you create like kind of a cultural silos. So I think that's a really good point to obviously implement people from different teams that are approved cultural interviewers or core value interviewers to be implemented in the process. So you're not having those cultural silos within a company, especially as you're scaling and hyper growth, because things can get lost pretty quickly. Yeah, totally. And I mean, Jesse, it's, you know, it's, it's easy for us to hear on this call, talk about it and, you know, seem like it's easy and rosy. It's really, really hard. I mean, how do you define what culture fit means? Even, even if you've defined a core value, every single person interprets it in a different way. And then we can have a long intellectual debate about like things like cultural influences and each of our own experiences impacting the lens in which we see those things. So it's, it's a tough process and it's really messy and it's, it probably will be messy for whatever company ends up, ends up wanting to implement it. But I think the key is um, you have to be okay with it being messy and you can't be shy from doing it just because it's messy. And it was certainly messy. I can tell you that like, you know, there weren't a lot of people who, uh, th- there were certainly people who disagreed with it. One actually really common thing that our head of recruiting was just, um, who, you know, Jill is probably one of, one of her core strengths. And when I look back, like working with her and for her, the things that I remember her being incredible at was um, a very common thing would be a senior leader joining the company. You know, of course, part of the reason why you bring in a leader is they bring in their network, right? And they bring in amazing people they've worked with and they want to, it's with good intention. It's not nepotism. Like they're, they want to bring in other amazing talent for the company. 
they pass the interviews, blah, blah. And then it would happen more often than you would think they wouldn't pass the core values interview. And inevitably it'd be a really difficult conversation because the leader would get really upset and say, I've worked with this person for 10 years. I know their core value. And we had to protect the process, right? Regardless of your role, regardless of your seniority, we trusted the process. And if someone didn't pass the process, they, they weren't given an offer. And so it required people, number one, sort of trusting one another, trusting the process, knowing that it wasn't perfect. But at the end of the day, knowing that even if it's not going to be right 100% of the time, that sometimes the false negatives, um, and we knew that there would be false negatives, um, we had to be okay with because that would allow us to also filter out the false positives. And at the end of the day, um, you have to protect the culture. And so it was a, a really tricky process. And to this day, I'm sure they're trying to refine it, but it's an important one to have. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's obviously trickier with referrals, I think, a lot of ways in, in terms of like the communication coordination of how to break that to somebody that referred somebody that obviously is going to feel really strongly about <laughs> that person being rejected. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you've obviously worked at a few different hypergrowth companies and now Sword Health. What are some of like the future trends that you're seeing in, in hiring or people that you feel passionate about or that are, you think are interesting? Yeah. Hmm. Let me think. I mean, the ones that come to mind, I feel like have been spoken about so much. So I, I'm trying to be original here. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's such an increase in remote culture, right? Uh, before that used to be a benefit. Now it's table stakes. If you don't have a, a culture that works for people's lifestyles, you're setting yourself three steps back, obviously. So let's, let's talk about that. What do you think um, some of like the difficult like, intricacies of setting up like a distributed team with a team that's maybe already kind of not had a distributed team? Like, what do you think? Because I think that's a, a big thing moving forward in the future is obviously distributed teams, I think, have become more and more prevalent, especially as communications improve and with, uh, the creation of Slack and all these different collaboration tools. So yeah, I'd love to hear how you go about doing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not going to add much here that hasn't already been spoken about um, frequently. You know, obviously you want to make sure that from a technology and tools perspective, you have the infrastructure, right? So Slack and email and all the other tools that we use to communicate. Secondly, even though there's endless research that shows that people are more productive when they are able to work remotely and work from home, I think it obviously begs the question What's more important though, productivity or innovation? Because you may be more productive. I, I know I can be, but you lack those water cooler moments that happen organically when people share an office space, when people share a kitchen, right? And so how do you replicate that in a digital format? How do you replicate that in a physical format? Like what should your in-person you know, offsite strategy be? Should you meet more often? If so, who should meet? Should it be everyone in the company? Should it be just people that work together on a regular basis? And and those aren't easy questions to answer, especially when you're a startup like ours. And, you know, we would love in an ideal situation to have everyone meet, but that, that's not necessarily financially feasible, partially because we have such a large international workforce. It's a lot more difficult getting everyone in like the US to meet versus everyone in a company that's spread between two continents. And so those are all strategic decisions that, that a leadership team and a HR team have to decide. And those are questions that we're answering ourselves. And so I know for a fact that we want to create and simulate those water cooler moments. We want people to have time to meet together and bond. 
um, the questions we're trying to answer ourselves is our sales team doesn't work as closely with our development team. And so is it important that we fly them all the way to Portugal, you know, once a quarter in order to form those relationships? Or is it okay that maybe we just fly our sales team and our marketing team together because those, those are the teams that work most closely together? So I'm actually still evolving my thoughts on that. I'll get back to you. But I think those are the types of sort of discussions that teams that want to invest in a distributed workforce need to be asking themselves. Totally. I think that's that makes a lot of sense. I think that in terms of the biggest challenges, right, how do you incorporate everybody in the company culture and make them feel included in that, right? Especially really diff- difficult if people are working in uh, not necessarily distributed offices, but even working from home if they're in a different state or country or whatever the case may be. So I think that's uh, one of the main areas that has a lot of work to be done. So I don't even think it's necessarily repeating what's already been said, but coming up with the most innovative and like future ways to incorporate people and just in- inclusion in general, regardless of you're in the office or remote or anything like that. So Tack, it's, it's been great speaking with you. Thanks so much for coming on. In closing, what's the best way for people to reach out to you if they're interested in Sword Health or, or chatting with you? Yeah, probably um, my email, which is tak at swordhealth.com or feel free to add me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Tack. It's been great having you on and looking forward to speaking again soon. That's the end of this week's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and like our channel so you can see more awesome content coming your guys' way. This week's episode has now come to an end, but our content doesn't end here. Head over to jessetinsley.com where you can find more valuable resources to hire and keep the ultimate workforce. That's jessetinsley.com. Enjoying this week's episode? Make sure not to miss the next episode. Hit subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.